Hey, what's going on, everyone? Everybody good? Good. Today, friends, we are learning Taf Pei of Masech the Shabbos. Mm. Da 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 da. Yeah. <laughs> Look, it's a good Dav. It's nothing too crazy. You know, yesterday I think uh, got a little hard to follow there at the end with all that tefillin stuff and dochsostros and cloth and tefillin and mezuzah and flipping back and forth. Yeah, that was a kind of funny thing. Look, man, I mean, I think it's just a hard parak, you know, hotza'a, all that stuff. So today we're getting back to some uh, concepts today of hotza'a like uh, we were familiar with once upon a time uh, about two months ago already um, or more at the beginning of the Masechta. Uh, we're going to mention like things like Carmelis and Rishas Arabim and, you know, things like that. Anyways, uh, but it's not too crazy. But uh, that's like the kind of vibe for today, at least for the first half of the day. So yeah, at the beginning, we're going to talk about if you take out uh, like basically in two kind of trips, right? If you do, we're going to talk about taking out ink, which we said was enough to write two letters. So what if you do like one letter at a time, so to speak? So we'll talk a little bit about that. Then we move on to the lachas of eyeshadows a little bit. Um, different quantities and definition for uh, taking out lime. Okay, and then uh, we're gonna get to a new Mishnah, and uh, but the new Mishnah is also gonna be talking a little bit about lime, and I guess we're gonna be all sorts of we're gonna know about all sorts of different uses and applications for lime. Um, okay, let's go right there, friends. I intestine with Bay is all the way, all the way at the bottom. Dio kedei lichtov, and now we are already on our daf, which is pei umud aleph. So we had said in our Mishnah that. Um, uh, and if you take out enough ink to write two letters, so then you're going to be high for taking out the ink. So, Tana, we learned in Hebrew, stay osseous, bidio, okay? So if you take out two, enough ink for two letters, so he's talking about dio, which is like dry ink, I guess. I think at one point we had learned that the way to create dio would be like to burn maybe some kind of oil or something and then it would create black smoke and then you would have like a glass kind of thing above the black smoke and it would just kind of collect the pigment from the black smoke and then you would use that to make DO to make this ink or something. Anyways, so apparently this DO is talking about dry ink. If you take out enough dry ink that I guess you would be able to, I don't know, maybe mix with water or somehow write two letters worth. So you're going to be chayv. And shtei osios bikulmus or if you take out a uh, like quill, and in the quill uh, is enough ink to write two letters. Okay, and now remember we we've, we've learned in the you know in the past you know like for example if you take out fruit in some kind of a kli in some kind of receptacle so the receptacle is irrelevant. What's important is the actual um, thing that you're taking out. So if you're wondering like well wouldn't you be taking wouldn't you be high for taking out the quill? Well, the quill is just really a receptacle for the ink that is in it that you're going to write with. So, therefore, what's important is the ink that's in the quill. And if there's less than two letters worth of ink in the quill, well, then there's no shear of ink and the quill is just batel to the, um, or tafel really, I think, to the ink. Okay. Shteosius um, bikalmarin, or enough ink in an inkwell to write two letters. But Rava, Rava wants to know, Mahu. 
What if you take out one letter's worth of dio, one letter's worth of um, ink in a quill, and one letter's worth of ink in a um, um, inkwell? Will you be hired for that? Will they join together? And guess what the Gemara answers? Teku. Ask Eliyahu Anavi. Amar Ravit says Ravit. Isn't that interesting? That if you take out enough ink, because remember, remember, going all the way, all the way, all the way, all the way back to the first half of Masech the Shabbos. Remember, Akira and Hanacha. When it comes to Hotzah, you have to pick something up in Rosh Hashayachid and put it down in Rosh Hashayachid, or vice versa, whatever. So, um, what happens if you pick up two letters worth of ink inside your house and now you take it outside, right? And he says what? He says, meaning he's walking. He doesn't stop, right? Meaning once you stop your body, so it's kidding you put down this ink. So he didn't stop moving, but he wrote them down. So the ink has kind of rested once they've been written down. So you pick them up in Rishus Ayachid. You wrote them down in Rosh Hashanah. So we say he's going to be chayev for that because, because writing the ink down is kilo, you're putting down the ink. I mean, I imagine you're probably also chayev for, for writing, but uh, you'd also be chayev for otsa. Exciting times. Vama Rava, and said Rava, Hotsi os achas Okay, so says Rava, what happens if you take out enough ink for one letter, and then you write the letter, right? Let's say you took out a quill that had enough ink in it for one letter, and then you proceeded to write down that letter. But remember, you need two letters in order to be chayv. But you just did one letter. And then you brought out another one letter's worth of ink, and you wrote that down. So Ke'ilu, in total, you took out two letters worth of ink and wrote them down. But individually, you only did one at a time. So we say putter. My time, how come you putter? At the end of the day, you brought out two letters worth of ink and wrote them down. So the answer is, So the answer is interesting, that when you write down that first letter, so actually as the letter dries, some of its volume gets lost. So once you bring out that second letter's worth, the initial amount that you brought out is actually not one letter's worth anymore because when it dried, it, it, it lost a shtickle. So uh, you're going to be putter. However, we do already see though that conceptually you would you would have been chayv, meaning if not for the fact that the first shear is already small, a little bit smaller, you know, if, if you do one melacha in two goes, right, half a shear for each, you would theoretically be chayab. And we're going to see this, you know, as the Gemara develops. Vyama Rava, additionally Rava said, Okay. So he took out to Rosh one half of a dried fig and he put it down. Okay. So Akira and Rosh Hashayachid, Hanacha and Rosh But we're only talking about a half a shear over here. V'nicha. But then he did the other half of the melacha. He took out another half of a dried fig, went out to Rosh and put it down. 
So in total, he did a whole malacha. Well, that came out of left field. So it's ke'ilu, a um, uh, dog ate the first one or it got burnt up and therefore ke'ilu, it's just like he only did one of them. Meaning, Kayla, we, 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 we treat the first half of a dried fig as if it just disintegrated and got lost. And therefore, he's pater v'amai. Hamancha. One second. Why? Why does that make any sense? Kayla, he took out the first half of a fig, put it down. Took out another half of a fig, put it down. He did a, you know, in, in total, he did a complete malacha. Why the heck are we coming up with this extremely random reasoning which is, well, we treat the first half a fig as if it was eaten by a dog or um, just like got burnt up. So this is what Rav is saying. So this is interesting. If before putting down the second half a fig, he had lifted up the first half a fig, well then, well then that first half a fig that he had put down since he now picked it up before putting down the second one, it's ke'ilu, the first one was snatched up by a dog or um, or got burnt up, okay? Meaning, because when he put down the first half of fig, he didn't do anything wrong because it was, or at least he wouldn't be high for that, because um, he only did half a shear. But then before doing the second half of the shear, he then picked up. So you don't really have... You know, at the end of the day, you can't really point at any full shi'ur that you had picked up in Rosh Hashayachet and put down in Rosh Hashayachet because you had never had a full shear, you know, put down in Rosh Hashayachet because once you put down the second half of the fig, you already picked up the first one, so it's not lying there anymore. So, Kalu. Okay. Vama Rava says, Rava. Hotzi chatzi grogeris v'inicha. So, let's say you take half a dried fig and you put it down in Rishus Arabim. Okay. And now you take another half of a dried fig. Because there's lots of stuff you can do with halves of dried figs. So this time what he does is, Now he doesn't put it down. That's the thing. He doesn't put it down. Chayev. Nonetheless he's chayev. So he picked up half a dried fig from his house, went outside, put it down. Great. Goes back inside, takes another half a fig and goes outside, but he doesn't actually just put it down. He's just kind of dangling it. And he's going to be chayv. Alright. Ve'amai, how come he's chayv? Hello, nach. You didn't do a hanacha. So why should you be chayv? And I guess he didn't stop moving either, I guess. So kigon, shavira toch shlosha. So my answer is, well, it's because he, you know, is, is passing this uh, half, the second half of a dried fig uh, within three tfachim of the ground, which makes it Rishus HaRavim. Ve'amar Rava tochshlosha l'Rabbanon tzarech hanacha al-gabe mashu But doesn't Rava say that even according to the Rabbanon who don't say, do you remember this argument of kluta kemoshu nacha dami? That once something goes into the airspace of something, it's considered as if it landed. Well, the Rabbanan don't hold of that, okay? The Rabbanan don't hold of Klutu Kamoshu and which means that just because something is in the airspace of something else doesn't mean that it landed there. And therefore, um, the fact that he's just dangling it here three tf- within three Tfachim of Rosh Hashanah, that doesn't matter. It would have to land there, 
So lokasha, kam bizori, kam b'mayvir, depends. If you throw something, so that's where the Chacham say it would have to land on something. However, if you are just passing it and like, you know, holding it and hovering it uh, within three tefachim of Rishos Harabim, of the ground, so then you're going to be chayv because this thing is like, it's landed on your hand, ki'ilu, right? So therefore you're going to be chayv for that, it's ki'ilu, it landed. So, all right, there we go. Half figs, dangling, chayv, great. Taner Abanan, the rabbis taught, hotzi chatzi grogeris, Okay, so if he takes out half of a fig and then he takes out another half of a fig and the entire time he didn't realize like, oh wait, I shouldn't be taking out half figs. Um, so Ki'ilu, he basically takes out a whole fig. Ki'ilu, he took out half a fig and then he took out the second half of a fig all in the same halem. So he's chayv because essentially he took out a whole fig. Okay, Bishteal almost potter. But if he did it in two ha'alamos, kilu, he took out the first half a fig, and then he realized like, oh, right. Um, all right, that's probably, I shouldn't do that. And then he, I guess, forgets again, and he does it a second time. So then he's going to be patur, because that that uh, realization in the middle, I guess, separates the two shears. Now, if you remember on the Ayin Aleph Medbez, we had the opinion of Rabbi Gamliel, who says, en yedia lechatsi shir. That there is no concept of a yidia for half of a shear. So maybe he would disagree with this. I don't know. Maybe he would. Maybe he wouldn't. But I don't know. It sounds like, it sounds like he probably would. Alright, let's go weiter. Um, let's see. Apparently he says what he says on Kuf Bays. Does this come up in Kuf Bays? I don't know. I don't see a dart in. Let's go weiter. Rabiosi Omer says the holy Rabiosi. Behelem echod, lirshus echod, chayev. So when we say that Ischayev, if he does these two half figs, so in one he'elem, so um, right in one absence of knowledge, <clears throat> so then Ischayev, but that's only the Rishus Echad, right? The Rishus Echad Chayev, the Shtei Rishur is Pater. So if you were to do it, so if, if you were... Wow, okay, so how to explain this. So if you're looking in the um, regular sort of Gemara, in the text of the Gemara, so in Rashi, there's actually like an illustration, okay? Um, if not, I guess uh, probably what I'll do is I'll provide an illustration here. But um, let's just understand the first concept because that one's easier. So for example, if my house is Rishus HaYachid and outside of my house is Rishus HaRabim, okay? So if I take out a half a fig from my house to Rishus HaRabim, then I go back inside, I take out another half a fig and go out to Rosh Hashanah Well, then I'm chayv, right? Assuming it was all the same helen. But what if, like in the depiction of Rashi, let me, let me explain what's going on in the depiction of Rashi and, and I'll, I, I will create this, um, Im- imagery as well and, and, and share it with everyone so that we can all, all be talking about the same thing. But basically, let me explain what's going on in this image. So what's going on in this image is that in the middle here, right? In that middle. So basically, you have a house on either extreme end. And then right in front of each house is a Rishus HaRabim. And then in between the either Rishus HaRabim is a, uh, for now let's call it Rishus HaYachid. Okay? So in that case, so you have two distinct Rishus HaRabims. So what Rabbi Yossi is saying is that if you would, let's say, go into the top house, and that, right, the house on the top of the diagram, and you would take a half a Grogeris, and you would go out from that house into Rishus HaRabim and put it down. Then you would go to that other house on the opposite side, and you would take out a half a fig, and you would go out to the Rishus Arabim in front of that house and put it down, you would be potter. 
Because even though you brought out two half shiurim in one halem from Rosh Hashanah to Rosh Hashanah, it was two different Rosh Hashanahs, and therefore you are going to be putter. That is what Rabbi Yossi says. Amar Rabba says, Rabba, now Rabbah says that in order for these two Rishus Harabims to be considered distinct Rishus Harabims, that mean right in in between them, right, so that area in between either Rishus Harabim, right, the middle area of the diagram, must be a full-fledged Rishus Hayachid. Okay, a mid orisa, something right, a chiyuv chatas, right? Something that you'll be chayiv chatas for, you know, carrying between it and the Rishus Harabim, right? i.e. Rishus Hayachid. So you need these two Rishus Harabims to be considered uh, to be uh, separated by a Rishus HaYachid in between them in order for them to be considered, in order to be potter, okay? Aval Karmelis low. But if there was a Karmelis in between the two Rishus HaRabbins, so then you would be um, Chayev because um, it wouldn't be considered a proper separation. It would all be considered one Rishus HaRabbim. Abai Amar Afilu Karmelis Aval Pislalo. Abai says that that area in the middle can even be a Carmelis. And if there's a Carmelis in between them, they'll be considered two separate Rishus Harabims. But if there is a some kind of big tree of sorts separating the two Rishus Harabims, so then um, it would still be considered just one Rishus Harabim. That wouldn't be considered a proper separation. Vrava Amar Afilu Pisla. Rava says you can even separate these two Rishus Harabims by just some kind of long log that you have in between them. Because Rava says that Rishuyos, um, different uh, domains on Shabbos, are just like the different domains when it comes to um, uh, a husband giving a divorce document to his wife, right? And what's, what's considered, uh, you know, giving it to her. And I think you can just like throw it into her domain or something like that. So what's considered her domain over there? So, and, I, and it would seem that a pisla is considered a significant domain for gitin, for divorce documents. So that would work here as well to, to divide up the two Rishus Harabims to consider them to be two distinct Rishus Harabims. Well, I think that's about it basically for um, the all this like Hotza'ah. Well, no, not for the Hotza'ah. We're still doing Hotza'ah, but like for the different Rishuyos and diagrams and stuff. Friends, let's move on. Okay, enough eye shadow in order to put onto one eye. But who does that? Uh, you know, uh, I am no eye shadow expert, I must admit. Um, but the Gemara seems to be saying that people don't really put eye shadow on just one eye. Okay. This is very interesting. So Avuna says, well, there are certain women who literally um, cover their entire bodies, including even one of their eyes. The only thing exposed is one eye. And the interesting thing is that I guess if the only thing exposed is one eye, you may as well put makeup on it. <laughs> kind of funny right it's like they're they're like so tsanua that like they don't want they literally want to like just walk around completely invisible and covered but if one eye is going to be poking through you may as well put on makeup all right cool so anyways so so these tsanuas uh women um put eyeshadow on this 
one eye. May say, but we have a kasha. Reb Shimon ben Elazar Omer says Reb Shimon ben Elazar. Chol was when it comes to eye shadow. Im lirefua kedei lechol ayin achas. Im lekashet bebeizin ayin. But Reb Shimon ben Elazar says we have a brisa, right? Rafuna is an amora, but we have a brisa that says that um, when it comes to eye shadow, so if it's for healing. So then, you know, if you're taking out for healing, so then the shear would be one eye. But if it's for makeup, like it sounds like what, like what Rav Huna is describing, well, then um, the shear would be two eyes. So why is Rav Huna saying it's one eye and explaining that it's tenuos? It sounds like it would be two eyes. Okay. So Hilal Bredav Shmobanachmani explains this um, brisa. To referring to uh, women who live in like villages, okay? I know Iranio sounds like it would be cities, but uh, Rashi defines it as villages. That basically, okay, they want to explain like this, that when Rav Huna is saying, uh, talking about these tsnuos with their one eye exposed and they would put eyeshadow on it. So that's talking about in cities. That I guess in the bigger cities, there's a lot more going on, a lot more people, a lot more happenings, a lot more excitement, a lot more potential for, um, I don't know, exposure to, let's say, relationships um, or interactions between uh, different people that some people might want to avoid. And therefore, in cities, um, you might have these women who would prefer to completely cover themselves up, only exposing one eye. And on that, Rav Huna is um, saying that Eye shadow for one eye would be sig- significant enough over there to go out to Rishus HaRabim. Uh, the Brisa, which says that eye, la- uh, eye shadow you would need for both eyes, so that is in a village where there isn't as much going on, and, and I guess it's, uh, you don't really have these women who, for whatever reason, would want to be completely covered except for one eye. And in those cases, they're going to, they're you know, everyone's going to have two eyes exposed. So in that case, Hotza would be by two eyes, and that's what the Bryce is talking about. Shaiva. So enough wax to put on a small hole. Okay, so let's say you have like some kind of flask of wine or something, and you... Uh, um, I'm going to have some small hole where the wine can come out of, and now you want to cover it, so you put some wax on it. Devek, kedeliten, brosha, shav, shav. Enough glue to put on top of a some kind of board. So, tana, kedeliten, brosh, shav, shav, shibrosh, konishot, sayodin. All right. So there were certain trappers that they would put like a um, board on top of some kind of reed. I don't know, maybe like some kind of like bamboo or something. And then what would happen is a uh, unassuming bird would sit on this glue and get stuck. And that's how they would trap these birds. So enough glue to put in their bird traps so that they get stuck. Zephyrs, Vigophrys, pitch and sulfur, Kedelasos, Hule. So right that Tana, Kedelasos, Nekev, Cotton. So to make a small hole. And I think that there was an opinion that just got rid of this from the Gemara because it's basically just quoting our Mishnah. That sometimes you would have like this little cylinder, this little, I don't know if cylinder is the right word. I feel like it's not, but some little... Um, I don't know, thing that had like some mercury in it, mercury in it or something, and then you'd want to like cover it. So, uh, and then you'd put like a small hole in it so you can get the mercury out. 
So that is what this um, pitch and um, sulfur is talking about. Enough crushed brick in order to um, make an opening for a, um, I keep on forgetting what the word is, but it's like a, what's a, some kind of like furnace that they would make, um, I don't know, like gold and silver in, I guess. So, Lememra de Shiura Drabi Yehuda Nafish. So, one second. So, the Mishnah had said enough of this crushed bricks in order to make this opening for this like furnace thing. Now, Rabbi Yehuda said it's enough to make a tripod for this furnace that you put the furnace on. This, um, yeah, thing that you get really hot. So, it, it would sound like Rabbi Yehuda's shear is larger than the Chacham. The Chacham said just some opening for some like hot oven furnace thing. Whereas Rabbi Yehuda said it's actually the stand that the oven would be on. It would sound like that would require a lot more um, of this crushed brick. So the Mehmed Shiro the Rabbi Yehuda Nafesh, is that to say that the amount for Rabbi Yehuda that he says that you be chayev for Hotza and Shabbos, it's a larger amount, i.e. it's more lenient. Ha'kaimlan, but we hold that Shiro the Rabbana Nafesh, that the um, uh, measure of the rabbis is always going to be larger then the measure of Rabbi Yehuda, that Rabbi Yehuda is going to be more stringent. The Tanan, as we learn in the Mishnah, Rabbi Yehuda Omer, says the Holy Rabbi Yehuda, litol midas right? When it came to how much of these reeds should you be taking out on Shabbos, so Rabbi Yehuda, uh, so the Chacham said enough to make like a ring for like a sieve and a sifter, uh, whereas Rabbi Yehuda said enough to like wrap around the foot of a child to know how big to make the shoe, and apparently that is a smaller size. Okay. So the Gemara answers, No, so we can explain Rabbi Yehuda when he's talking about the tripod, it means that if you have a small tripod and there are like cracks in it or like etches in it and you want to even those out, so then you need a little bit of uh, this. Um, well, um, meaning, and then you would like cover it with like plaster or whatever, but that's just like very little bit and that's how much of this crushed brick you would take out. So it's actually small, smaller than the amount of the Chachamim who say enough to make this opening for the oven, for this furnace thing. Taner Abanan, top of Pamud Bays, Hamotzi Se'ar, K'teli Gabobo Satit. Interesting. So if you bring out hair on Shabbos, you have to bring out enough hair that you can mix into clay when you're making it to give it some structure. Tit, Lasos Pikor Shel and enough clay to take out, uh, enough, you have to take out enough clay in order to uh, apply to the opening of this furnace. <clears throat> okay, Sid enough lime in order to we said in order to like uh, remove hair from the small finger of a girl. So Tana So we learn in a brisa in order to uh, apply to the small finger of a girl to remove the uh, the hair, right? Meaning if she would want to remove all the hair from her body. So already once she would take out enough. Uh, lime on Shabbos or the shear for on taking out lime on Shabbos is enough already for uh, to remove the hair from this the pinky finger I guess of a girl. Okay, so Jewish girls if they uh, reached um, puberty but they didn't reach their years. They already had pubic hairs and they already had hair on their body, but they were young. They weren't necessarily I guess twelve years old. And they wanted to remove the hair. All right. So, benosaniim toflososim basid. So, if these are, if we're talking about daughters of uh, poor people, so they would remove the hair with lime. Benos ashirim toflososim basolis. So, the daughters of wealthy people would uh, remove the hair with some kind of uh, flower uh, product. 
Um, the daughters of kings would remove the hair with um, myrrh oil. Shinemar, as the Pasuk says, when in the context of Esther, when she went to visit Ahasuerus um, for her trial run to see if she would make a good queen, so it says, So she spent six months soaking in Shemin Amor, and I guess that was to uh, remove hair. So we actually see, so my Shemin Amor, what is Shemin Amor? Rav Huna Amar Satkas, okay? Rav Huna says it's this kind of fragrant oil. Rav Yirmiya Bar Abba Amar Shemin Zayish Lehevi Shlish. Says Rav Yirmiya Bar Abba, it is um, oil from olives that have not reached a third of their growth yet. Tanya, we learn in Abraisa, Rabbi Yehuda Omer, Anpikanon, Shemin Zayish Lehevi Shlish, that Anpikanon is also um, oil that has not... Um, from olives that have not reached a third of their growth. And how come you apply it to your body? Because it removes um, hairs and also makes the flesh very um, good. I, I guess it like, gives like good color to your body, to your skin, I guess. Rebevai had a daughter. Mazel tov. Tafla ever ever. So he would remove hair from her body by applying, um, I think it was, I think it was lime to her body um, one limb at a time, meaning not the entire body at once, but one limb at a time. So for his daughter, somebody offered him 400 zuz because his daughter was so amazing because of his lime Hair removal, limb by limb treatment. Um, now there was a certain Gentile in his community who saw that, wow, Bevai just won the lottery on account of his lime application technique. So, Avile Barta, so this Gentile had a daughter, Tafla Bechad Zimna. Okay, so he also gave her the lime treatment, but he did it slightly differently, and that he didn't do it limb by limb. He applied it to her entire body at once, umesa, and uh, she unfortunately uh, died. So Omar, uh, so this uh, Gentile uh, accused Kotel Rebevai Levarti that Rebevai killed my daughter. Okay, Omar of Nachman says of Nachman Rebevai deshti shikra bayon bante tafla. Okay, so Rav Nachman asserts that, well, you see, Rav Bevai was a beer drinker. Now, beer drinkers have daughters who have uh, lots of hair. That is why Rav Bevai needed to remove the hair from his daughter in the first place. Anon, however, us, Dilosha Sina Chichwa, we don't drink beer. Rav Nachman was a wine guy, right? If you remember from the story with Ula and Yalta, where she destroyed 400 barrels of wine, apparently he was, uh, he liked his wine. So, uh, well, our daughters don't need to remove hair because we don't drink, uh, we don't drink beer. Beer causes, um, hair in daughters, um, and wine doesn't. So we don't have to worry. Or at least we don't have to, um, uh, whatever. Uh, I, I guess he says that his daughters didn't have hair that, uh, would have been removed. Viter. Rabbi Yuda Omer says, Rabbi Yuda, kidei lasud kilkul. Uh, enough lime to put on a kilkul. Now we're going to try to figure out what this um, kilkul is. You guys ready? You guys ready? Ready to figure out what a kilkul is? Okay. 
my kilkul, what's a kilkul? My andipe. So Rabbi Nechemia's opinion was that Sid, you had to take out enough um, to to um, a- apply to an andipe. An andipe. Okay? What are these things? Amr Rav. So said Rav, tzida uvas tzida. So Rav says, it's um, one is an application to like the hair on your temples. And one would be an application to like the very small hairs that are beneath the temple that you may want to remove. Okay, but like it sounds like the hair on the temples you don't necessarily want to remove. You just kind of want to hold them in place. Whereas the hair beneath the temples you might want to remove. So the member of the shiur, the Rabbi Yehuda Nafish. Okay, is this to say that Rabbi Yehuda's shiur is larger than Rabbi Nechemia's shiur because that's enough lime to put on your temples? But there's more hair on your temples than there are beneath the temples. So Hakaimalan the shiur, the Rabbanan Nafish. So, but don't we know that the rabbis? measure for Hotza on Shabbos is always larger than Rabbi Yehuda's. So how can we say that Rabbi Yehuda's shiur is larger than Rabbi Nechemia's? So Zutumi the Rabban of Anafish mid Rabbi Nechemia. So we say, well, Rabbi Yehuda's shiur is, 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 is um, smaller than the rabbi's shiur. However, it is larger nonetheless than Rabbi Nechemia's shiur. But we have a kasha on Rav's explanation of saying that um, lime, uh, according to Rabbi Yehuda and Rabbi Nechemia, is uh, you know, enough to apply on your temples and beneath your temples, respectively. Omar Rebbe said, Rebbe, Nirin divrei Rebbe Yehuda bechavot v'divrei Rebbe Nechemia b'beitza sasid. So, um, Rebbe says that that it would make sense to say that Rebbe Yehuda's opinion regarding this kilkul would be talking about dissolved lime, lime that is dissolved in water. V'divrei Rebbe Nechemia b'beitza sasid, whereas Rebbe Nechemia's opinion of uh, andipi would make more sense in a sort of a clump of lime. Now, Now, if it really enters your mind that um, Rabbi Yehuda means uh, lime to put on your the hair on your temples, and Rabbi Nechemia means lime to put uh, to treat the hair beneath the temples, well, both of those are going to be with chavut. Both of those are going to be with this dissolved lime. Um, but according to Rebbe, uh, only Rebbe Yehuda would make sense with dissolved lime. Rebbe Nechemia would make more sense with a clump of uh, lime. So Ella Amr Rebbe Yitzchak, Amre Devei Rebbe, Ami Andipa. Okay, so Rebbe Yitzchak explains in the... Uh, uh, in this, so Rebbe Yitzchak said that they said it by the base of Rebbe Ami, that um, Rebbe Nechemia's opinion about these Andipe are actually a... Uh, it's a reference to... Um, some kind of wine barrel that has a spigot on either end of it, on the top and on the bottom, okay? And you want to um, plug up the bottom spigot with um, lime so that none of the wine will come out the bottom. And that is what um, Rabbi Nehemiah is talking about, and that's better, and that makes sense to use a clump of lime as opposed to dissolved lime. But Maskeflar of Kahana. Rav Kahana responds to Rabbi Yitzchak, V'chi adam osem ma'osav an paros. Does a person just waste his money like that? Because if you use lime to plug up the spigot at the bottom of your barrel, well, guess what? The wine is just going to dissolve the lime and all the wine is going to come out. So, Ela, Amr of Kahana, Shnasos. So, Rav Kahana says that these clumps of, um, that Rabbi Nechemia's uh, opinion, which makes more sense, which, may, which you can explain to be clumps of lime, is talking about Shnasos. Okay, what are shnasos? Shnasos are basically, if you have some kind of a measuring cup, okay, and you have lines on the measuring cup, so you can know how much, you know, the amounts are, 
So you will use some lime, clumps of lime, and, and you'll stick them into like grooves in the cup so that you'll be able to easily see where the etches are. So as we learn in the Mishnah, So the hin measure, right? Now a hin is 12 lugin. So, right, and hins come up with like libations in the temple for different sacrifices. So they would have this measuring cup that was the size of a hin. And they would have different etchings in this measuring cup um, and say, okay, up until, right, so um, it was six lugin for a par, four lugin for a ram, and three lugin for a sheep. So basically, you know, at the six, at the six lug mark, at the six log mark, so they would, you know, they would use this lime and say, hey, this is for a cow. At the four log mark, there would be an etching and some lime to say that this is for um, the ram. And at the three log mark, it would be like, hey, friends, this is for a sheep. Okay, and that's the lime that we're talking about. Vibaisema, or if you want, I'll say, my andipa apusa. Or if you want, we'll say, what is this andipa of uh, Rabbi Nehemia? It's talking about a far, it means a forehead. Okie dokie, so a line that you'd put on your forehead. Like this person from the Galilee, that he went to Bavel, that they said to this friend from the Galilee, maybe he was from Tzvas in the Galil, because they said, Come teach us about the Merkava. Come teach us about this vision of God uh, described by Ezekiel. And Tzvas, of course, is the Kabbalistic uh, city. So, so maybe they were saying, oh, you're from Tzvas, why don't you teach us about the Maisim Merkava? So, I will expound to you, like Rabbi Nechemia expounded to his friends. And I think, I think what this means is, Kilo, sure, no problem. I will explain it to you just like, you know, just like Rabbi Nechemia would talk to it. Like, I don't know if it's necessarily talking about Rabbi Nechemia. Meaning, I think just basically means just like those machlokas of Nehemiah and like other people, whether it's this machlokas that we're talking about or just like in general, sure, I, I have no problem. I'll, I'll talk to you about Maisim Merkava, just like people talk about any part of Torah. So Vinafkas are Isam in Kosel. Now a wasp came out of the wall, umachte ba'andipe, and uh, stung him in the forehead, umis, and he died. Okie dokie. Or maybe the point is, like Rabbi Nehemiah is talking about the Sandipe, and, and we're saying that it, this wasp stung him in his forehead, which is, and it says it's his Andipe. So we see that Rabbi Nehemiah means forehead. And these people in Babel said, that from him, this happened to him. He shouldn't have been teaching about the Maisim Merkava, which is kind of funny because, after all, they're, they're the ones who asked him. <laughs> he didn't ask them. He said, they're like, hey, can you teach us about the Maisim Merkava? He's like, yeah, okay. Then a wasp comes and kill him, and they're like, oh yeah, his fault. He shouldn't have been talking about mice and recover. <laughs> I mean, uh, I don't know if that was very nice of them, but all right. Zak the Mishnah. Adame kichosam amartsofin. So Bikiva says that um, you'll be high for Anshabas if you take out enough earth to create some kind of a seal for these like sacks that they would put on like boats. All right. Uh, to like seal these sacks, okay? Uh, enough to make a seal, enough earth that you would use to make a seal for a letter to ensure that nobody opens it or that it wasn't tampered with by the time you get it. 
Zevel v'chol hadak fertilizer and very thin sand. Kedei lezavel kelach shall kruv to Rabbi Kiva. According to Rabbi Kiva, you have to take out enough in order to put use as fertilizer for a stalk of cabbage. Machachamam kedei lezavel krisha. Whereas a chacham say enough in order to put fertilizer on a leek. Chol hagas very thick sand. Kedei litein al melokaf sid enough to put on a um, spoons full a spoons worth of um, lime. Konet a reed. Kedelasos kumus in order to make it into a writing utensil. Ve'im haya avet, but if it was too thick, omurusas, or if it was like uh, had like cracks in it, kedelavashal bo beitzakala should be beitzim trufa undesuna beilpas. So it would have to be large enough that you can burn it and use it as a fuel, and that will give you enough fuel to cook a um, beitzakala, a, a egg that cooks very quickly. Um, um, trufa. That is already like, um, what's it called? Whisked up. And already put in the pan. So it just has to be enough heat to kind of, um, just quickly cook a egg. Okay. Says the Gemara, Amulo Kafsid. So the Gemara says that, um, you have to take out enough thick sand in order to put on a spoon full of, uh, lime of, pla- uh, fine. So Tana, we learn in a Brisa, Kedelitin alpi kafshil sayodin. Okay, enough sand to put on top of this spoon that the plasterers use. And I guess they put this lime in the spoon. And then if you can, I guess, like, you know, however much sand you would put on top of that is how much you'd be high for taking out on Shabbos. Man Tana the seed. Who is uh, the Tana who says that sand is good and beneficial for uh, plaster? So I'm Rav Chizda. Rabbi Yehuda he. So if Chizda said it is Rabbi Yehuda the Tanya, as we learn in Abraisa, lo yisod, lo yasud adam es beiso basid. So after the base Amikdash, so they made, after the base Amikdash was destroyed, they made a gezerah that nobody can plaster their house with plaster because it looks too beautiful. It's white, it's beautiful, and as a gezerah that we don't want things to be too beautiful. Um, so, so they say, don't plaster your house, don't, 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 you know, cover your house with plaster. Elim kain, erev boteven ochol, unless you mix in with it, um, straw or sand. If you mix in straw or sand, it'll make it kind of, you know, uh, a blacker color and it's not so beautiful and you can use it. Rabbiuda Omer, Tevin Mutter Chol Aser. Rabbiuda says you can mix your plaster with, um, uh, straw, but don't mix it with, um, sand. Mipneshu Traxid, because it makes it very, very strong plaster. So we see that Rabbiuda's opinion is that, um, Sand makes strong plaster, and therefore it would be him who says that you should not um, write that Yerchayev on Shabbos if you take out enough sand that you would apply to plaster. Um, okay. Rav Amar Filutema Rabbanan Kilkulo Zeotikuno. You can even say that um, even the Mishnah is according to the Rabbanan who say that you know you would put uh, um, sand into the plaster to kind of make it worse, but then the the day, by adding the sand, you can now make the plaster usable. And therefore, you know, there is a reason that you would want to apply sand to this plaster. And therefore, you could say even the Mishnah uh, is according to Chachamim, and that uh, you'll be chayev if you put in enough sand that you would apply to the plaster in order to make it usable to build your house post-Beis HaMikdash destruction era. Konek delasos kumus, if you take out a reed large enough to make a, um, like, a pen for a scribe. Tana kumus amagia lekishreds baosa. So we learn in a brisa that this pen needs to be large enough that it gets to your joint, the joints in your fingers. 
By Ravashi, Ravashi asks, Keshra Elyon or Keshra Tachton? Are we talking about the knuckles, like the highest up knuckles, the knuckles that Kilo are, are connect your fingers to the rest of your hand? Or are we talking about the knuckles in the middle of the fingers? And the Gemara says, Teku, we don't know the answer. Vimaya Ave Chule, if um, this, um, oh, right, we said that if the reed was too thick to make into a pen, or it had cracks in it, so then it, if it's large enough to uh, use as fuel and will be able to cook a, uh, you know, egg that cooks quickly, um, then it, you'll, you'll be chayv. Tana, trufa b'shemen unusuna b'ilpas. This, this egg needs to be already like, um, like, what's it called when you like mix the egg, whatever? Like, I don't know if whisking is the right word, but um, I don't know. You like mix it up or whatever. And then mix it up with like oil, I guess, and you put it in the pan. And at that point, you just kind of light this um, reed and see if it'll cook the egg. Amalei, my braid Ravina le So my braid Ravina says to his son, Mishmielach Hey son, do you know what this very quick cooking egg is? So Amalei, Biasa de Tzilzala. He said, it's the egg of a small dove. My timer. Um, so how come... How come um, this egg of a small dove is considered a um, beitzakala? So Mishum Dezutra. So I guess his son told him, well, because it's very small. Well, Ema Ditsiparta. So my Dervina said, well, what about the egg of a hummingbird, which is even smaller, Ishtik? And his son didn't know how to answer him. So his son then said to, his, to my brother Dervina, he says, well, have you heard anything about this very quick cooking egg? So my brave Deravina told his son, well, um, Rav Shesha said it's talking about the uh, egg of a chicken. Umay karu la beitza kala. Why do they call the egg of a chicken a beitza kala, a very cook cooking egg? Cook, quick cooking egg. Sheru um, chachamim, because the chachamim uh, evaluated, ein lecha beitza kala levashal yotzim beitzas tanagoles, that you don't have any egg that cooks quicker than the egg of a chicken. Now, my Ravina's son asked him a very good question, which is, in general, when it comes to um, melachas on Shabbos that pertain to food, the shi'ur is a grogeris, is a dried fig. And over here, we seem to be evaluating um, a, a, a beitza, right? An egg. So, I'm the achiyamar of nachman kigogeris mi beitza kala. So... Uh, Marbid Yervina answered his son by saying that Rav Nachman said that, yeah, over here also when we're evaluating cooking an egg, we're not talking about cooking the entire egg, which would be the shear of a beitza, just to be able to cook enough of a dried fig's worth from the egg. So the egg is really just the sort of substance that we're talking about, the material that we're talking about, but the shi'ur of that material would be um, enough to cook a dried fig. Friends, that was Daf Pei of Mesechta Shabbos. Uh, let's do a recap of the page. So we started off talking about taking out ink on Shabbos, and we said that you have to take out enough ink to take out to um, to write two letters. And we started getting into this idea of what if you do hotza in two goes, right? Kilu half a gogeris and then another half a gogeris, or one letter followed by another letter. So in the end, we basically said the rules were kind of like this: if you take out the, um, you know, let's say half a uh, fig followed by another half of a fig, okay, in two separate ha'alamos, ke'ilu, you took out one half of a fig and then you realize like, oh, oops, and then you take out a second half of the fig without realizing, so then you're going to be potter. But if it's one he'elem, if it's all in one mistake, 
so that without realizing in the middle that uh, you shouldn't be taking this out, so then um, you will be chayv a korban chatas. Okay. Now, Rabbi Yossi says that you're only going to be chayv a um, korban chatas if the um, if, if both halves of the of the fig were taken out into the same rishus harabim. But if there were two separate Rishus Harabims, so then you would be Potter. And then we have Machlosin Raba, Abaye, and Rava about how to define these um, two different, or how do you get two different Rishus Harabim. So Raba said that um, each Rishus Harabim must be separated by a Rishus Hayachid, by Mamash Rishus Hayachid in the middle. Whereas Abaye says, no, it can even be a Carmelis. If the two Rishus Harabims are separated by a Carmelis, so then it'll be Potter if you take half a Gogaris into this one, then half a Gogaris into the other one. Rava says, no, even if it's separated by a um, um, I'm sorry, so, so, so Abayi said even if it's separated by a Carmelis, it would be considered a separation, but if it was separated by a Pisla, which is this like log, so then it would, uh, you would be Potter. Um, I'm sorry, you, you, you would be Chayv, meaning if it's separated by a Carmelis, it would be two separate Rishasarabims and you would be Potter. If it's separated by a log, it's one Rishasarabim, you would be Chayv. Rava says even if it's separated by a log, it would be two different Rishasarabims and you would be Potter, and he says that uh, we define rishus rishuyos by Shabbos in the same way that we define them for divorce documents. Okay, we got into eye shadows um, for one eye. The Gemara said, "Who who puts eye shadow on one eye?" Uh, Rafuna pointed out that there actually are certain women who dress in such a manner that they literally only expose one eye, but they do nonetheless put eye shadow on that eye. And um, so, so there you have it. We then brought a brisa though, which kind of specifically said that when it comes to um, cosmetics, uh, meaning um, um, eyeshadow that's being used for cosmetic reasons, so it would have to be put on both eyes. So we say that that is specifically in villages where um, you don't, you know, you don't really have these women who are covering them up themselves up with the exception of just one eye. So there, it would be both eyes. Um, then we talked about all sorts of different quantities and definitions when it comes to Lime, uh, I'm not really going to go into too much detail there. I think it was pretty detailed. Um, yeah. And then we talked about adding sand to lime. Rebuta said that adding sand to lime actually strengthens the lime, so it's good for the lime uh, because we got into this idea of after the base of Mitos was destroyed, so then uh, we didn't, you know, they, they said don't make your house out of lime anymore because it looks too nice. So you have to add some like straw or some sand. So Rabbi Huda says you can't add, add sand because sand actually makes the lime stronger. So we see that Rabbi Huda says that um, you know lime is uh, sand is good for lime. So he must be the author of our Mishnah who says that your chayav on Shabbos when you take out enough sand that right that you would put into the lime. Um, and the Chacham, you can, but then um, we say that no, you can even argue that that the author of the Mishnah is the Chachamim that they say even though sand isn't necessarily good for the lime but it will allow you to use it in your house. So therefore enough sand that will allow you to use the lime, the, the lime slash plaster in your hand, in your, in your house. So you'll be high for taking it out on Shabbos. Um, friends, that was the pay. I hope you enjoyed it. And I hope I'll see you tomorrow. Bye.